Thank you very much. Um, and it's, um, it's a delight to be here again. I was here last uh, Monday. It's nice to see a lot of uh, familiar faces and some new faces and to see the, um, the growth of the community, really. It's quite, um, quite wonderful. And just one further announcement. I left uh, out near the door a, some flyers which have my own teaching schedule through, I think, through mostly through um, July. And then also uh, a sign-up sheet if you'd like to be on an email list to get information. You may want to work, wait till you hear the talk if you haven't heard me <laughs> to know whether you want to sign up. But um, I send out emails maybe two or three times a year just with my schedule, so not, not too much, hopefully. So I wanted to uh, talk this morning about a theme which has been really important in my own life and practice and I think is, is very, very central to most of, our, most of our lives. And that theme is working with judgments. And by judgments, I'm meaning particularly harsh and reactive negative judgments about self and other. Is that familiar? <laughs> and I believe that there also are positive judgments, you know, where we elevate ourselves or others in ways that have some confusion or some uh, reactivity. But primarily, I want to talk about the, the more negative kind this morning. And in a way, it um, follows from, in some ways, from the talk I gave on Monday. I know some of you were here, which was on the um, theme of mindfulness and uh, what in uh, Buddhist terminology is called papancha, the tendency of the mind just to basically run wild in an unconscious way. So judgments are one particular way that that happens, and it's a way that is often can be very linked with our own suffering, the suffering of others, connected with conflict, um, even war. And so it's a very powerful theme. And in my experience, um, it's been one of the, the core themes which people want to talk about. You know, when I um, mention the theme, it's, it's high on the list. It's pretty much up there with, um, in my experience, it's judgments, anger, and close relationships. That's... <laughs> They may be connected. <laughs> so, and I also have to say that um, the theme comes a lot of my experience, and it's a little bit unexpected, the um, level of investigation that I've personally found in my experience. So I would have to say, you know, in the kind of in the 12-step language, I'm a recovering judgmental person. <laughs> you may be also. <laughs> And I think I was conditioned to be somewhat judgmental as a kind of a strategy, which many of you may share, you know, to be a good person. If I was to be a good person, I had to know what good meant. And typically it meant that uh, others were bad and I could know when I was good and I needed there to be bad people so I could be good and so on. Is this familiar? Maybe for, for many of us. Um, 
I want to just define judgments a little bit more and then then ask us to do our own reflections. Um, Typically, in my own experience, when I've looked at judgments, they seem to be they seem to bring together some kind of observation or noting that's then followed or linked with some kind of reactivity or something that is very reactive. In the English language, we use judgment, the word judgment in a lot of ways, and some of them are rather neutral. We could say that I, you know, I judged that the sky was blue or could make a a fairly neutral judgment that doesn't really have charge or reactivity. And the kind that I'm wanting to look at is the kind that does have reactivity, the kind that does have charge, that takes us somewhere that can leave us in a bad mood for three hours or three weeks or three years. You know, um, and, that, and that can really make relationships difficult. And so typically, the, the work that I have found that's very useful is to disentangle the different aspects of judgments because usually they come and there's some truth to them. That's called the hook. You know, you know that's, uh, you know, in other words, I notice someone who's acting in a way that may be not so friendly or caring towards others. And my judgment is, if I'm really uh, reactive, that person is obnoxious or something like that. And yet I can see that there's some there's some truth in the observation. I'm noticing something. And yet um, there's some reactivity. The reactivity might be um, connected with what's in my own psyche, my own history, and so forth. And uh, the work that I found helpful is to preserve the insight, the intelligence, we might say, of the judgment when it's there, and it's often there, and separate it from the reactivity. This would permit me, in the case of being with that person, to really notice, oh, there's some kind of behavior that's uh, not so helpful, but if I can work through the reactivity, I may be in a position to actually act compassionately towards that person, to respond in some way. If I'm reactive, it's very unlikely that that will happen. And so the long-term approach that I want to suggest for working with judgments is the work of mindfulness and investigation that helps us to separate out the intelligence and the energy from the reactivity. In that sense, I'm taking a different approach than I often hear uh, suggested about judgments. A lot of people say, just get rid of your judgments, drop them. You know, judgments are no good and so forth. And guess what that is? It's often, yeah, it's a ju- in some ways it's a judging the judge or judging the judgment. And I think it in some ways keeps the energy going under the guise of responding in a helpful way. It can keep that energy going. And so the, this work of disentangling is both a difficult one, but it's a very important one. And, and we have the tools of mindfulness and of investigation and of opening the heart that can really help us with, with that work. So I want to ask you, before I go a little bit further, just to reflect for yourself on some of your own judgments, let's say, of the last few days. 
And this is just for yourself. You're not going to be asked to reveal them unless you want to uh, to others. So just reflect on some of the judgments that may have that character of having um, mostly we know them by the reactivity. So just take a minute or two and, and look inside especially something that may have surfaced in the last few days. It can be a big one about oneself or others. It can be a small one. We have judgments just on an everyday level when we notice the person in front of us at the traffic light who's, who's on a cell phone and starts 10 seconds after the light changes. And there's a judgment often. There can be just this laid back quality and compassionate response. <laughs> But there may be there may be a judgment. So so there there are small judgments, there are intermediate judgments, there are large ones that can really that can really be connected with suffering. So just reflect for yourself on something that you may have noticed in the last few days. And if you need to go back further, do that. And if you don't have any judgments at all surfacing in your experience, maybe maybe you should come up and give the talk. (laughs) So, So just let's reflect for a minute or two. Could be about someone else, could be about oneself. So I'd like to just invite a few people to say, just to name a judgment. And if you can do it just in one sentence or two sentences, not the whole story. Should we use the microphone? Or I can, I can just repeat them if that's easier, yeah, for the sake of the recording. Anyone like to just name in a sentence that what the judgment was that you might have noticed? Please. Yeah. So I'm judging myself in meditation. It might be I'm not a very good meditator or I should do this more or something like that. Great. Not not great. The judgment, but great. Great great that you named it. Others. Please. Someone was being disrespectful by ignoring me. So how would how would how does that actually appear in your what's what's what is your language like that person is? I wouldn't want to repeat that. You won't want to repeat it. <laughs> so a, we'll, we'll say a colorful version of that person is, di- is disrespectful. <laughs> okay, uh, not suit for general consumption. <laughs> okay, please, one or two more. Please, please. My boss is an idiot. Again, there may be more, even more colorful language and, and detail and so forth. Right. Please. 
Yeah, yeah. Can you name one? <laughs> okay. Okay. So again, we can imagine. We'll have to imagine. My mother-in-law is my it's judgment. Yeah. Maybe one more, please. Calling my kids bad boys for doing little things. Yeah. Yeah. So calling my my son a bad boy for some small action that I don't like, or that's against the rules, or whatever. Yeah. So I think we get the the flavor and we all have these and we all have them a lot. And it's a what I have found kind of unexpectedly is and part of this comes from the fact that I think about um, about two and a half years ago, I had came to a point where I had done a lot of my own personal work and I offered a day long retreat at Spirit Rock on working with judgments. And it went well, but afterwards, people gathered around and said, we want to continue doing this work. And it was a very, uh, they, I think, felt the power and the influence of judgments on their lives. And so I started more or less a follow-up group that's more or less continued monthly for two and a half years, in which I've worked with people around the theme of judgments. And it's been very powerful, deep, Work And surprisingly, so I didn't plan to do that, didn't expect to. And I found that the work with judgments is not just helpful or um, useful or kind of eases our suffering, but actually it's a very, very strong and direct path to go very deep in our nature, in our psyches, in our conditioning. It's like uh, Freud said about the about dreams. He said they're a royal road to the unconscious. And I think that working with judgments is a kind of royal road to deep transformative work. That's certainly what I have found in myself. And it's a it's something that I think has when we do it on a personal level, it can be very powerful in a way to work with um, our deep conditioning or unconscious, because judgments really manifest. They manifest in our thoughts, they manifest in our hearts, and they manifest in our bodies. And so doing the, the work with judgments really, in a, in a way, transforms all of those. Um, they help tremendously with interpersonal relations doing this uh, transformative work. And I was also thinking that the work with judgments uh, is also really, really crucial in terms of responding to suffering on a community level or even on the level of the whole society. And I say this noting that this is the fourth anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. And some of you may have strong judgments towards our political leaders. And some of you may have strong judgments towards those who have judgments about the political leaders, maybe on both sides. I, I think believe that that the transformative work on judgments is very, very crucial in that way. And it's it's also as reflecting also that judgments are not just a personal matter. It's not just that we have these habits of working. But I think judgments are also carried by our families, by our cult, by our larger culture. I, I saw just yesterday, I saw a um, I guess it was actually a news report 
that was on the that's on the internet. A friend sent me was actually on YouTube. Everyone know about YouTube? Um, and it was a news report about a film that had been done by a, uh, a teenage a teenager, um, African American girl of 17, and it replicated a, a test or a study that had been done in the early 1950s by uh, Dr. Kenneth Clark. How many people have, know about this? So it's, it's, I think it's, it's making the rounds. It's very powerful. And Kenneth Clark had done a test whereby he gave uh, dolls to African-American children. Some of them were black and some of them were white. And he asked them, which ones do you like the best? And overwhelmingly, the African-American children preferred the white dolls. It was actually a pivotal study that led to the 1954 Board of Education decision to end segregated schools. So this young woman did a version of that study this year. And of course, it was was not a formal research study. And so we don't know what the findings actually would be. But in her film, it was often heartbreaking. It showed she found also overwhelmingly that African-American children even now choose the white dolls. And there was one really, like I say, heartbreaking part that was shown on the news report where an African-American girl, maybe four or five years old, was shown black and white dolls and she was asked, which is the good one? And she pointed to the white one. Which is the bad one? And she pointed to the black doll. And then she and then the questioner asked, which is more like you? And right after that, she went right back to the black doll. And so the association was there at a very, very young age between bad and herself. You know, and so this I think this points to the way that there's an element of judgments which which is carried unconsciously. You know, and is cultural. So it's a very, it's a very, very um, powerful topic, and it's it's been central in many other spiritual traditions as well. I think in Buddhist tradition or in Christian tradition, many of you remember the passage in Jesus where, where he says, "Do not ju- do not judge, and you will not be judged." You know, how can you judge another when you have what the splinter in your own eye? Do you remember? Some of you know that passage. And so it's this very, very um, amazing area, very, very intense area. So what I want to do for the rest of the talk is to, to, is to point to four ways of working with judgments and then talk some about my own personal experience in working with them. And I hope that this gives some tools for working with judgments, at least initially. And part of the reason I'm, I'm giving this talk today is I'm thinking about judgments because I'm going to be doing... A, another day long at the end of the month at Spirit Rock and also actually one in Santa Cruz on Easter weekend on the same theme. So if you're if you're interested in going in more depth, you could you could be at one of those. So the first the first tool I want to mention is the general tool of mindfulness. And this is really a I think it's a first tool. It's really to start noticing the prevalence of judgments and to begin to explore what they are, how they appear in our bodies, our minds, our hearts. In my own practice, this is probably the primary way I worked with judgments 
for a lot of the first years that I was uh, studying meditation. It was just using, just noting when I was sitting, oh, there's a judgment, judgment, judgment. I shouldn't have so many judgments. <laughs> judgment. And really get beginning to have an initial glimpse of the territory. And this is really a first crucial way to work with judgments. It's to kind of take an inventory as we do in mindfulness meditation is to take an inventory of our own experience and to see what's there, to start noticing. Because if you had asked me before I started meditating, are you a judgmental person? I would have said, not more than you. <laughs> or, or, or <laughs> a little bit of a hook there, right? <laughs> so not more, than, not more than the normal. And if you had asked me after I had... Um, looked a lot, I would have said, there's a lot of judgment. In other words, that part of what mindfulness does is it really lets us know what's present in ways that we might not know before. It also begins to, sometimes we can actually, after we've noticed just the prevalence, it's like your, your comment, there's a lot of judgment. It's my mother-in-law, my son, and so forth. As we begin to notice there's a lot there, we can also start when the when we notice judgments in the present moment, to actually look more closely at them. What's happening? What's happening in my body? What's the story that the judgments are telling? How does my heart feel? And so forth. And to begin to have an interest in being mindful of our judgments. Even though they're not so pleasant, we may want to get rid of them. And it's actually, I think, a turning point in much of our mindfulness practice when we actually get interested in the ways that we're lost or the ways that are connected with our suffering and have an interest. Oh, let me see how I do that. It's a very crucial turning point in our practice. And so for myself, that was a major practice for a lot of years, just to notice, to look more carefully. And sometimes I could also ask my friends. They were often more mindful than me about how I was being judgmental. <laughs> and so you, your friends will probably be able to tell you with great precision, <laughs> and, and probably especially the people close to you. So that was the first tool. And I think that's, that's always a valuable tool to keep with. And then a second tool is really, in a way, a development of the first tool or a first method. It's, it's looking with more precision at the patterns that involve our judgments. And it's starting to notice that there are certain uh, patterns that I start, I begin to be judgmental when this happens or when that happens or when someone says this to me or when someone says that to me. And we start to become students of our main reactive patterns. Again, this is, I think, a crucial turning point in our practice when we actually become very interested in how we're reactive. Some of you may have come here because you thought that meditation and mindfulness is about being peaceful and wise and just being blissed out. (laughs) Only partially true. (laughs) But uh, a key part of the practice is really to have this, this deep interest in what leads to our suffering. And it's not always so pleasant and not always so easy. For myself, a lot of this practice has accelerated in the context of uh, 
close relationships, both intimate relationships and relationships at work, because there I could see how the patterns are um, common, how they happen quite frequently. And they often occur after the same kind of stimulus. You know, in fact, um, I was thinking about one close relationship that I was in for several years. Uh, we had a particular dysfunctional pattern. I think all close relationships, even very good ones, have continual, have a major dysfunctional pattern. Is this familiar? <laughs> it's, so for the one that we got into was... Typically, this would be the case. She would be very, very upset and she would judge me. I would think the judgment was unfair. I would judge her for judging me unfairly. And she would feel somewhat overwhelmed and she would withdraw. And we'd be stuck, basically. And we could be stuck for a few hours or he could be stuck for a few weeks, you know, but that was that pattern and it was all around judgments. And so I got to study that or another time in my uh, work situation, I was with I had meetings every two weeks with a person who was a boss, basically an authority person. And I thought he was my view was that there was other people shared this, but <laughs> a little bit, a little bit dangerous there. It was that he he wasn't a good listener, and in my, you know, if I would say it without reactivity, I would say I would often say things, and he would often totally change the subject immediately. And and so I found myself being very reactive, and when I would just say something and the subject would be changed, I would start finding myself being very judgmental. And I would withdraw emotionally in that situation. And I would move to a place of what I call, have come to call a distanced moral superiority. <laughs> Is this familiar? <laughs> oh. And of course, but nothing much more would happen. And so, but that particular situation, I was working with a mentor. And of course, it was happening every two weeks for two or three hours. And so I went back to that. And I continually investigated what was happening with that particular uh, relationship such that I would go back and I would try to be really mindful. And eventually I was able to really, as it were, bring the interaction into a kind of slow motion, which is, I think, what we do with our mindfulness. We study it and we begin to see what once was he did this and suddenly I'm withdrawn and so forth gets turned into something which has uh, steps that we can isolate. So I would, as I studied it more, I came to see that there was an almost, there were intermediate steps where actually it was painful not to be listened to. And if I could connect with that painful experience and not go right to the verbal level of judgment, then I could actually notice, oh, that doesn't feel good. And if I could do that, then I would have a choice because I could feel my mind starting to become judgmental. But I also could have a choice to say something like, I'm not sure you heard what I said, but it's an important point for me. Something like that, which I could say with much less charge. In other words, I would not get carried away by my own judgment and actually be able to respond much better to the situation. And so as I studied that more and more, 
I began to really study in detail that the patterns of my judgment in a way which made it clear that the judgment was sort of the end result of a process which I could actually notice in slow motion. This took time. I had two years. I also had guidance you know, from someone I would kind of check back with. Okay, this is what happened the last meeting and so forth. So that's a second tool of really, or a second method of really noticing our own patterns with more and more detail and going into slow motion and seeing them more clearly. And we can especially do that with patterns which keep uh, persistent. A third core tool is really working with the heart. And I think this is complementary. And I found this particularly in working with, for myself and working with the groups of people over the last two or three years, is that when we actually start studying judgments closely, it's sometimes hard. And we can get an occupational hazard of working with judgments is that we see them as more pervasive and we can actually get very hard on ourselves. I'm such a judgmental person and being judgmental about our own judgments is, as it were, an occupational hazard of this work. Just to know that is important. And one of the ways to work with that is to do a kind of heart, do some kind of heart practice while we're investigating this. It could be the Buddhist loving kindness practice towards oneself or others to really have that. If you're serious about working with judgments, bring in a heart practice at the same time. It could be to work with compassion, a practice that I um, have been doing that I did more intensively. I did. I took February and was uh, on retreat most of the month. And I, I did, every time I sat, I did a practice of gratitude, which actually, interestingly, can really help with judgments because I think for myself, maybe like you, if there are 10 things happening and one of them is bad, so-called, I focus on it. In other words, I focus more on the problem, even though there are nine things that are doing really well. And I may get preoccupied by the problem. And... Gratitude lets us more focus on the nine, in a sense. And it gives, I have found it gives a certain balance to mind. It's not that we don't want to look at the problem or deal with it, but it helps us not to get overly um, caught in the problem. And so some kind of heart practice, loving kindness towards ourselves or others, towards my boss, towards my mother-in-law and so forth, can really complement. And I found that that kind of grounding in the heart, in a way it's grounding in a different way of being than being judgmental. One that might represent how we are when we've really worked through judgment to a significant extent. Emphasizing that way of being is, a, is an important um, balance to the really the, the close looking at judgment. And the last way I want to mention is I think a little in some ways more advanced. And this is something that I did a number of years ago. Um, I was starting a, actually doing a long retreat. I had been working really hard for seven or eight years. I had not done a long meditation retreat for some while. And so I basically took a kind of sabbatical and did a two-month retreat. And I noticed that I was, there was a lot of self-judgment. I was being harsh towards myself about how I had neglected my spiritual practice you know, and had done all these other things. And it was quite harsh at times. You know, I've wasted these years. 
I don't feel that now, but at the time it was, uh, it was very, very harsh at times. And I was working with a person who's been a main mentor named John Travis, whom some of you know. He's a wonderful teacher. And John had me work with a very interesting practice that particularly focused on judgments. And it required a fairly quiet mind. But what I did was at the end of a sitting, I would, and when, when a judgment would appear, but particularly even when a judgment wasn't there, I would invite judgments that had been around the last 24 hours, or in this case, some of the judgments that I brought to the retreat, and I invite them to be present. Let them do their thing, usually verbally, and then I would bring my attention to my heart and my body, particularly around the chest area, and just keep my attention there without thinking that anything was happening. And I, would, I did this probably 10 or 15 times a day over two months. And it took a while to notice things, but after about a month, I started noticing that when I went to the level of the body or the heart, I would tend to be in touch with something that was painful. It might be some sadness or some grief, maybe about the last years. You know, in the case of um, less intense judgments, it might be, you know, that person didn't give a very good talk last night. Or something, and I would, I would feel there was some kind of pain or sadness connected with it. Even the judgments where I would go in the meditation retreat, through the food line, and say, "The cooks have arranged the condiments in the wrong way. <laughs> it's leading us to move very slowly through the lunch line." And I would notice there was some kind of when I would go down to my body, I would notice some kind of pain connected with impatience. In other words, there was always some kind of pain there. That's what I found. And you can, you can look. There was some kind of pain that was beneath the judgments. And I came to see more and more that the judgments were in a way a kind of defense mechanism for not feeling what was there. That if I could actually tune in more closely, which wasn't always available, I would actually be in touch with the um, underlying pain sadness or just something in the moment, like impatience, like at a, at a traffic light, I could tune into that. And if I could tune into that, first of all, as I did that more and more, I was much less judgmental. In a way, it was like being present with an underlying pain in a sustained way had a healing quality to it. I think that's really what we, a lot of healing is being present with warmth and kindness to what's painful. And when I could do that more and more, the area of judgments tended to dry up as I was able to be with the underlying pain. And I did, I continued this pretty much for about two years to the extent that I was actually so interested in judgments that I wanted to be around judgmental people. I actually sought them out at times. And I found myself more able when someone judged me to tune into the underlying pain of that person and not be so caught in the judgment, which was very, very important. You know, think if we could do that. It's very, very powerful practice. And so the sustained work in that way, again, I I want to uh, say again that this requires a certain amount of stillness and it's not a beginning practice, but it's something that I found I was able over time to work with and it did, I think, succeed in both having me understand judgments more clearly and also working through a lot of them. 
And it's something that I still do in the moment. If I notice that I'm judgmental, I try to just tune in to my body and my heart and know that usually there's something else going on that I'm often not aware of. And so, again, this is another another meaning of mindfulness. And I think that using these tools really helps us in a way to see judgments as workable. And also, as I was saying, that a guide to very deep uh, conditioning. You know, in Western psychological language, we would say that the working with judgments takes us into the depths of the unconscious. It takes us to the deep unconscious beliefs that may be structuring our lives. In Buddhist language, we would say that it can take us into awareness of much of our conditioning around self and other. Many of the deep views of self that in the teachings of the Buddha are there even through fairly advanced, even for fairly advanced spiritual practitioners. There's still going to be some judgment there. In fact, in the Buddhist model of the stages of enlightenment, we would say that something like judgments only end with full awakening. There's something that's very interesting. There's in that model of awakening, which some of you know, there were four stages of awakening at the at the next to last stage of awakening, which is called the non-returner, this person who has done deep spiritual work and will complete it in this lifetime. There still can be what the fetter in the Buddhist language of what's called conceit or self-centeredness, which leads one to compare. And so you can have all these fairly advanced spiritual practitioners, for example, if we had a group of them up here, we could have four non-returners on a panel discussion. They could be talking to each other and they could be sitting there thinking, I'm a better (laughs) non-returner than this person. And that would be normal. That's not a problem. You know, in other words, that quality of self-centeredness is there is very, very, very deep and it generates the judgments. So we can have some compassion towards ourselves in that way. But it does. The the model does suggest, certainly the Buddha said that it's possible for one to transform that self-centeredness ultimately and to work through that. And so I really close by just inviting those of us who feel called to do this work to really um, work with one or more of those methods that seem suitable and to take this as this um, very crucial kind of transformative work, but be aware that this takes a while. As in the cartoon where they show two um, students of Zen conferring with each other, they say, I think this is going to take a while. I've been told to bring a bag lunch. <laughs> so, so know that this is a, a long-term work. We need patience and compassion, but it's a very, I do believe it's a kind of royal road to deep transformation. Thank you.